This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. By studying the reasons why something has been triggered within us, we can then take the steps required to reverse engineer the experience and to ultimately become free of it. Kieran Headley discusses the main points highlighted in scientific literature in recent years that promote mental health struggles, such as anxiety and depression. Due to his past suffering of anxiety and depression, and because these are the most common mental health issues, he focuses on these topics. After working on people's mental health and coaching them through their suffering for four years, and full-time for the last two years, many common denominators also present themselves. Alongside the research, Kieran ties in his own experience from working with people working through their struggles over extended periods. What's researched and what works for each individual can sometimes differ. Valerie Atelis interviews Kieran Headley. He's an anxiety and mental permanence coach, meditation teacher, and speaker. After finding freedom from his previously anxiety-stricken mind and being drowned in depression, Kieran Headley had a natural longing for finding the best methods to help others to find the same level of freedom that he gained. Anyone who has suffered that much would know the deep desire for peace and the deep pain for not wanting others to suffer to that degree. There's nothing like it. The methods Kieran found freedom through were deep Buddhist-inspired meditations and the linking of these practices to his studies in medical neuroscience. When you hear him speak about well-being, Kieran will often tie it to a biological basis as he coaches the way he felt he needed coaching when he started, from a logical basis of why, how, and a step-by-step method that has backing. Kieran Headley now incentivizes his work through NFTs. He has an NFT, non-fungible token, basically a digital good that exists on the blockchain that has intrinsic value, in works that he will be giving his clients for free once they reach their goals. Kieran also has smaller, free NFTs he has made that he gives people for completing his free course. His aim is to use the NFT space to incentivize and promote greater change in this world through self-healing. Meet Kieran at healingwithkez.com. Here is the interview with Kieran Headley. In your own words, who is Kieran Headley? Yeah, in my own words. So Kieran Headley is a New Zealander, a bit of a nomad, previously suffering anxiety and depression. Now actually lives very free of those experiences for the last two and a half years I have. 
And that's been through the methodologies of meditation, mindfulness, and also as well the understanding of the brain neuroscience. I love that there's such a intertwining of those two worlds that exists. The more I understand about meditation, it's like the more connections I make with neuroscience. The more I study neuroscience, the more I see uh, the tie-in with meditation and mindfulness. It's very beautiful. And I've had the gift of sharing that with others through my coaching. It's a curious. That sounds very interesting, and I have a lot of questions for you. And one that comes to mind is this idea or the label we have called mind. Where is it? Is there something that's localized in the body? Some say the brain, or it's everywhere? The way I see mind is, mind is in a way everywhere, but I would refer more consciousness to be something that's mm. everywhere. Right. Uh, mind, I see more as something that exists in the entire body, not just the brain. Because I can think with my body, I can, uh, just the way that I might feel with my body. That feeling will also as well initiate certain thought processes. Those thought processes will initiate certain feeling. And there's this beautiful cycle that continues on and on, this beautiful connection between what people would generally call the mind and the body, but really it's all mind, it's all memory. Interesting memory, right? So it's a remembrance, and those memories, they create thoughts, and that's what feelings go by. I mean, I have so many other questions here to explore that, but before that, let me ask you some open questions. The one that I had already programmed here. What is your idea of freedom? What is to be free from your perspective? Yeah, yeah, I love that question. I see freedom as being free of the shackles of the mind. So I see mind as conditioning. And to be free of that conditioning is to be free. And when I say free from that conditioning, I mean one that is not a slave to their compulsions. So if I feel that I need to do X, I need to say Y, and I follow through with those things, I'm still a slave to my mind. And I'm, I still am a slave to my mind in many areas of my life. I'm definitely not 100% liberated. However, the more freedom that I gain from my mind, the more peace I will also gain in my life. So freedom, in my eyes, equates to harmony, and harmony is peace. And from that foundation of peace, happiness is a natural state to be. So when one is free, one is also peaceful, harmonized, and also happy. And that comes from one's ability to step away from the compulsions of the mind. And I love when you say it's not something that we will be liberated from 100%. It's not mm. even realistic to think that way, right, Karen? Oh, it is. Is that possible to get there? Oh, yeah, it's a great question. See, I not within the realm of what I've experienced because I haven't experienced that, right? So I can't actually say whether or not it's possible. It may well be. However, in my mind, in my eyes, I see it that it's a beautiful opportunity to continue to progress. And this is a lifelong journey for myself. If that takes me to somewhere that is a destination, that's fantastic, but that's not on mind. My mind is focused more toward the idea of the journey. And so long as I'm focused there, uh, the suffering of me not being where I want to be went into my life, which is great. So that's one less thing to suffer. <laughs> <laughs> so true. Uh, however, <laughs> yeah. uh, however, you do see many amazing gurus out there that uh, uh, will call themselves completely liberated and enlightened. And they may well be, right? So it's not my place to say whether or not they are or not. So 
for me, when they say that, that to me sounds like they've attained that freedom. However, that's, you know, one in uh, many millions, if not one in a billion uh, that you sort of hear. However, from my end, it's definitely a continual progression through life. And what do you think it takes to get there if there is such a thing as enlightenment and a destination for the freedom we're speaking of? Is that something that comes from realization, a gift from the universe, God's source, or practice? Yeah, I love these questions. Yeah, so uh, from in my end, I actually don't have an answer to that because it's not within my experience right now. Um, and I haven't, that's not something that I've experienced truly. Uh, but if I was to give a answer, um, from my perspective and hypothesize, I'd, I'd say something along the lines of one that has come to a place, as I mentioned before, of complete freedom where the mind no longer dictates a single thing for that person. However, that person is able to dictate the mind. So it's a complete shift frame shift where the mind's no longer controlling the human and that human is so conscious to the point where they're able to completely consciously act how they want, not how the mind wants. And I feel like that may be a possibility. Um, and I'd say to get there, that would require one to do practices that are aligned for that person that allow for that person to become more free of themselves. For me, it's meditation. So that would be my hypothesis. That resonates. And I wonder when you speak of the mind's not controlling the person. So I wonder what the person is, because most of us believe that we are our thoughts, that we are yeah. the mind itself. So how can something beyond the mind be experienced with, um, basically what you're saying is that there is a way that we can experience unconditional love or unconditional life or unconditional peace through a conditioned mind and body. Is that something that is really possible to express the unconditioned through the conditioned? Mm, that's a great question. Great um, point as well. So now that you say that, it's not something I've thought too much about. However, yeah. uh, an unconditional experience absolutely would be much more possible if one was able to step away from these conditions uh, or the conditioning that they've accrued over their life. And I'll just quickly define conditioning for those that are listening as well, of course, which is just simply it's accrued impressions over the period of one's life based on the state that that person was in at the time. And we then use that data. So just to explain in a little bit more detail, how I was when I was maybe five years old and one day, and maybe my parents said, Kieran, sit down and be quiet. And I was in a uh, maybe a nervous state. I might take that on as maybe even a quite strong trauma. However, if I was in a very joyful state and they said that, it might not affect me as much and therefore I won't hold on to it as much. So it depends on my state, but it also depends on the situations that I'm in. And that's the data that I accrue and I hold on to. That's the conditioning. Now, when I'm in a situation that might resemble something similar, it might be my partner, right? Or it might be a friend. And they say, hey, Karen, be quiet. I might, the same groups of neurons that formed during that situation when I was five years old will trigger 
and the same feelings or similar feelings and a similar chemistry within the body and brain will be produced. So that's what I mean by being at mercy of my conditioning because now I'm feeling the same feelings I felt when I was five. But I also will likely react the same way that I reacted when I was five as well. So it's being a slave to conditioning. And there's nothing too wrong with that. That's very normal and natural. It's what the brain does. However, from this state, back to your question, if I'm in conditioning, then so long as I'm in conditioning and I'm working from this memory, I'm any really given love or any really given expression or experience is going to be partly conditioned at least. So, yeah, the answer to your question is from a conditioned place. Uh, true unconditional uh, love or a true unconditional expression, there's always going to be some condition tied to it. Mm. And that's only natural. That's very human and that's okay. Mm. It's okay. Yeah, that's yeah. the answer to that. I love that answer. That's the way I understand that everything is unconditional life, which means includes mm. the conditioned Being here now in the human body, this is already fulfillment. This is everything that there is, even if it is in, in a state of anxiety, depression, sadness, uh, joy, which um, might be seen as the opposite. But to me, it's all part of the human experience, a part of this, which we call life. It's more like a, a non-dual kind of non-duality concepts, I would say, that... It really resonates energetically for some reason. I have no idea why, but really <laughs> resonates true <laughs> that everything is just incredibly, I don't want to say the word perfect, but it's its a gift to be here. Mm, it really is. I mean, I definitely couldn't imagine a more perfect world um, or way the world is. I mean, I don't mean socially. Socially, you know, there's many things that aren't perfect for sure, but When I look at a blade of grass or an ant or a butterfly, I could not even fathom the idea of imagining something even greater than that, except okay. for the influence of Pokemon. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. right? So, of yeah. course, because I've had those experiences, of course, my mind will be conditioned mm. to be able to imagine those things. But if I had never come across anything that was outside of this life, so nothing digital, nothing animated, nothing like that, and I saw life as it is, without trying to imagine anything different. There's, and I see all the mechanisms and the way it's programmed and the way it's designed, like the way that an owl is designed to be able to see so beautifully in the dark. And the way that they perceive darkness is actually the way we perceive lightness. And it's the most profound thing. And the way that it's designed is so that it doesn't have to face uh, creatures during the day and it can do its thing in the night so it can stay much more safe. It's so beautiful. I mean, it's just such an amazing, uh, perfect design of life. I mean, I just couldn't think of anything more perfect myself. And that's what's so beautiful about it. So I guess the word perfect is definitely a limited word, but at the same time, it's, um, yeah, it's a great way to define life that is, that, that is, but also not a great way to define society, I don't think. <laughs> ah, yes. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> True. Yeah. So is that something the meditation and mindfulness can help us with, Karen? Yeah, I believe so. Uh, because at the end of the day, conditioning is closedness. Because mm, conditioning yeah, is one yeah, track. Right, right? So if I'm right. acting from my conditioning, I'm always acting from memory. If I'm always acting from memory, I'm acting from the one track path. Right? And there's, there's no openness there. Uh, and that's okay. Right? That, that's how a lot of people are stuck. And, and I, I, I really have a lot of compassion for that and empathy for that because I used to be completely stuck in that. It's a really difficult place to be. And that's where you know, anxiety, depression, 
really deep sadness, heaviness, like that, those sorts of experiences are very common. And then as one starts to become more free of those conditionings and one starts to attain this freedom, more peace, more joy, more happiness, those, that feeling of openness starts to arise. So it's not that, that they sort of complement each other, right? Openness can lead to more, of course, joy, happiness, but also as well, the more that one leans into uh, the, the sense of freedom, this openness, that really is the pathway to this freedom that we talk about. And meditation absolutely is a method that for me has been so incredible and so important and so vital for this openness to be attained more in my life that has allowed me for, for greater freedom from anxiety and depression. Uh, so to yeah, answer your question, meditation, so long as it's acted in such a way that's not, that doesn't have to be so scripted, but it's acted in a way that's more open. Because in the past I used to use a lot of guided meditations, which are fantastic, by the way, great way to start meditation. Uh, but it's also very specific in terms of the focus within the meditation. And then as one progresses in their meditation journey, they come to a place that is unguided and then one's able to actually focus on working towards something that's even far deeper and far beyond what they would in a guided situation. So as one comes there and one's able to truly sit with their thoughts, with their feelings, with the sensations in their body and not react to those one is creating a different relationship with those things and therefore as well creating an opportunity where they're no longer reacting to those things and therefore no longer closed. They're open to now respond, which means they're now open. Yeah. So do you connect what you do as a meditation teacher to spirituality? Is meditation spiritual? Yeah, meditation can absolutely be spiritual, but it also might not be for an individual or someone can sit there close their eyes and they can be seen as meditation, but they can just be daydreaming. Yeah, <laughs> true. Right? They could have so been mastered the art of yeah. sleeping upright, right? So yes. yeah, there's a lot of things that one can do in yeah. a state of what we yeah. call meditation, but yeah. true meditation is not the practice itself, it's the state, right? So one, when one is actually in meditation, that person is in a state where they're in non-reaction, right? They're in a state of complete openness. That's meditation. Right. And in that state, that ties to your previous question, which is, you know, nat there's natural curiosity about life um, through this openness because now I'm not looking at a tree and I've already made a meaning about the tree. Mm -hmm, yeah. I'm looking at the tree and I'm looking at it as if I've seen it for the first time and I see all the beautiful textures in the leaf and each individual leaf and how each individual leaf is unique upon each other. And it's just the most amazing thing uh, when openness is really utilized from that state because all of a sudden there's never an opportunity to ever be bored because <laughs> there's just so much, so many new things constantly uh, in life even if you're in the same spot all the time. So this concept of meditation, uh, true meditation is spiritual in my opinion, um, but however, it doesn't have to be. So you are also an anxiety and mental performance coach. What inspired you to become this type of coach, Karen? What do you do exactly as a and anxiety and mental performance coach. And what is the intention behind the work you do? Yeah, beautiful question. So the reason why I became firstly anything to do with mental health coach, um, and then I eventually became specifically an anxiety coach is because uh, well, one of the biggest struggles was anxiety. I, I really suffered depression growing up, um, like every morning waking up feeling heavy, sad, just not wanting to face the day. I wanted to hide away from the world every single time, every single day I woke up. 
every single night I came home. And it was just the most horrible feeling. And as I started to get into my meditation practice, I started to resolve some of this, which was really beautiful. And I had a fantastic support system as well and a few things that I practiced to help me come out. But anxiety started to enter my life more and more as it became more productive in my life. And that would that was I remember my first panic attack was it just happened for seemingly no reason. I know why now when I reflect, but at the time I was just sitting on the couch and my partner at the time was cooking me dinner and life seemed great. I think I was watching my anime. I love anime. Life seems great when I look at it. <laughs> but right then and there, I just started hyperventilating. I curled up into a ball on the couch and I was freaking out. My partner had come across and asked me what was wrong. And I just continually repeated, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I just had no idea what was happening. And then it passed after some time and I didn't think much of it after that because I didn't think anything of it. I didn't really know what anxiety was. Um, this is when I think I was maybe, uh, I must have been 19 years old or something like that, 20 years old. And then after some time, uh, those panic attacks came a few more times in my life and they became more consistent. And that just was one of my darkest times in my life was during that time. And I remember I was living at the time, at this point in time in Quebec City. And I was very lonely. I'd only just moved there. I didn't really know many people. I was lucky enough to have a partner at the time as well. And um, I was sitting on my couch and I was having another bit of some mild panic attack at the time. And I was just thinking these two strong thoughts. One thought was, I just wish I'd give anything right now if I could just be peaceful. I, I don't care if I get if I don't get anything of the things that I desire, so long as I just feel peaceful in this life, that'll be everything to me. And the second thought I had was I wouldn't even want my worst enemy to feel this way because it was that bad. And I know that people that have been in that place know exactly what that feels like, right? And it sounds to me like you've also experienced a lot of that yourself, right? So that's, yeah, that for me drove me to actually want to do this work. So from that point on, I did whatever I could to come out of that. And eventually I got out of that, thank God. And uh, from those, from that journey of moving from anxiety to peace and depression to joy, uh, yeah, I naturally wanted to share that with as many people as possible. That's why I stepped into the coaching role. And in the past, I used to be a personal trainer, um, specifically for athletes as well. So that's where the desire to work with uh, performance came from. So I really enjoy working with mental performance because there's such a strong tie between that and the physical as well. So that's where things come from. When it comes to mental performance, what defines what optimal mental performance is? Yeah, so I see optimal mental performance as one that is peaking in their energy consistently, peaking in their focus consistently, and peak, uh, peaking in their memory recollection uh, optimally, right? So that's... Uh, and consistently as well, right? So memory, focus, and energy. And those three components really will tie into mental performance. So one, they can consistently remember things very easily. One that can focus um, consistently and optimally, but also as well has the energy to move forward and uh, execute on the things they need to execute on. So that would be optimal. But also I say consistently because some people have phases of that. And that's not true mental performance. Mental performance is the ability to sustain that consistently and optimally. And optimally doesn't mean perfect. Yeah. It just means to the peak of what that person can optimize. 
Mm, yeah. So when you say consistency, it would be throughout life? Throughout life. So there's going to be, of course, yeah, yeah there's going to be days, yes, where that's uh, shaken because of certain things, whether it's a uh, an illness, whether it's uh, something that's come across life and triggered the person, naturally mental performance will decline for that period of time, whether it's uh, something that else that has influenced that person, such as it, uh, a change in temperature or a change in weather, that, that all these things can actually influence the person. So uh, they can always influence the mental performance as well, and that's going to happen. Um, so by consistently, I mean one that has come to a place where those things are less affecting that person's experience and therefore that person's able to maintain a greater uh, height of mental performance. Yeah. Mm. Wow. I wonder when for some of us, because I have had people around me who they seem to be very pragmatic and very mentally healthy. They seem to be there uh, operating from the space that you speak of optimal mental performance. And then they had some, let's say, tragedies in their lives some issues, people died, they lost their homes, uh, car accidents. And I saw the decline of that. It was very extreme, actually, from one place of um, clarity and pragmatism and um, just doing everything they wanted to do with the mind to being hospitalized in, in mental institutions. So that is interesting. That kind of made me think about how, I mean, how vulnerable we are, right, Karen? We can't really control. I mean, we can try to. So talk to me for a moment about this idea of of trying too hard, though, to control and manipulate mental health. Mm. Yeah, great question. So um, the idea is not to control mental health because that's just another form of closeness, right? So even with this mental performance concept, it's still approached from in the place of openness. Because um, at the end of the day, if I'm so intensely focused on, I need to feel more energized, I'm actually coming to a place where I'm restricting my energy, which is really interesting. So I'm actually doing the opposite. Uh, and that's why the openness concept, in other words, a way, a place where I'm less attached, if not non-attached. Uh, and that actually pr- provides one great greater energy because the neural energy is going to be more optimal. And neural energy, I mean, they're acting more from what we call a dopaminergic state, which means that there's more dopamine in the brain. And that's what that's where a lot of neural energy comes from. If you look at someone that's just had a victory on the sports field that's been playing football for um, you know, 70, 80, 90 minutes, whichever football that people are talking about because there's so many variations, uh, then what you'll see is that they'll go straight from the place of being very tired and fatigued, all of a sudden having all this energy. And that can't be hormonal because hormones take a lot longer to secrete. That must be a neurotransmitter. And the neurotransmitter that we know that gives the most energy is dopamine. So when one is actually in a state where they're not acting in fear, but they're acting in a state of more excitement for life, enjoyment of life, their energy is going to be much more optimal. So rather than being in a state of more cortisol-focused. Cortisol-focused would come from a place of stress, which is I don't have enough. We're in a state of, wow, I'm really looking forward to life. I'm really leaning into life. I'm really enjoying life. And that would be where a lot of the energy comes from. So mental performance is actually less from really focusing on the right supplements and doing the right things and all that. But it's actually more about the state by which one comes to those things. right? Because at the end of the day, I can take all the right supplements 
I can do, I eat all the right things. But if my energetic state is from a state of I must and I have to rather than I'm going to because I want to, there's a big change in state there. We're shifting from a state of cortisol to a state of dopamine more prominently. Uh, so yeah, that's definitely more tied towards that. And uh, do you mind just repeating quickly what your question around the mental performance aspect was? Just because I think I lost my way. <laughs> yeah, and I forgot the question too. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think it was the idea of control, and you, you answer my question. Oh, that true. was okay. that's beautiful. Yeah, so that. it's not control. Yeah, I love that, Karen. So you're coming from a place of openness and with that. So it's like more coming from the abstract and then and then expressing into the uh, the concrete of the physical world. Yeah, there's definitely supplements that people can take, right? For example, like um, we'll look at things like ashwagandha actually has an enhanced ability to decrease cortisol. Ideally, you have that in the evenings. Uh Things like lion's mane is okay, um, but you want to look at more things, mushrooms like go-to cola. Go-to cola has a lot of ties between uh, the ingestion of that and then focus and uh, also mental performance as well, mental cognition. Things like L-theanine help to clear the mind because it calms the mind because it helps produce what we call GABA. GABA helps decrease con certain connections in the mind and the brain, which essentially means that by decreasing these connections, if someone is overwhelmed, that person will start to feel less overwhelmed because they'll be less able to think more critically. And that's actually ideal for someone that's anxious. So there's all sorts of things that people can do to quote-unquote control in a way. And like I said earlier, yeah, it's definitely more optimal to actually come from a place where one can shift from internally from a state of I must and I'm running away from something to I'm leaning into something. Yeah, the state change is the most powerful point. So yeah, it's definitely from a place of openness, not control. Mm. When you talk about the word openness and not controlling, when I think about it, the word awareness comes to me. Mm. And you mentioned focus too, the word focus. So it's being aware of what is it's happening. So you're not really, uh, I, although I don't think we can be aware of everything, all mental activities. <laughs> so much is <laughs> happening right, right now, right? Then we can't yeah. really... No, but I love that this concept, this uh, coming from that place of, I can't help it but say the word spiritual. I mean, I don't believe in free will, and I think that's what it is. So it's not really that I'm choosing to have these supplements or do what I do to keep my mind healthy. Life is doing it. Mm. Or maybe through um, the expression of life in me, by being in touch with that, the foundation of that, of life itself, then I'm, I'm able to see the options that are available. Absolutely. It seems to me like it works that way because I do not believe in um, free will. I didn't choose mm. to be here and talk to you today. Life, it's just life doing it. And, and that gives me that, um, that sense of freedom too. That's what I think, mm. what freedom to me has everything oh, I love to that. do. I do. It's it's an interesting idea because a lot of people, you know, might say um, that they argue for free will, and then a lot of people might talk about free will in a different sense to what you did, but also as well agree that free will is uh, not a factor because uh, of our conditioning, right? So because we've got our wants, and my wants come from my conditioning. But if I say go to an ice cream store and I see vanilla ice cream but I really want chocolate ice cream, right? So my want is chocolate ice cream, but 
The only reason why I would get vanilla ice cream is if I want to not want chocolate because I want to overcome my conditioning. That is still a want, and therefore it is still not free will. So that's the argument of um, a lot of theorists out there around this idea. However, I'd actually argue uh, another side to it, which is if I am always in a state of uh, life, I'm in life's hands, it's a place of safety and security, which is so profound, and I love that. At the same time as well, if I am surrendering control in that way, which is fantastic as well, and so freeing and so liberating, I'm also as well coming from a place where I can decrease the level of ownership I have over the things that I do and the things that I gain and the things that I build. So I I feel like it's definitely powerful as well to understand that I do have some conscious capability to discern what it is that I do and what it is that I um, choose to uh, experience and how it is I choose to respond. Because by taking full ownership like that, I also as well really take my destiny into my hands as well. Not in an egotistical way, but actually in a very conscious way where now the mistakes that I've made, I'm taking ownership for that. The things that I do and where I slip up, I'm actually taking ownership for that. Not in a way where I self-sabotage myself, but from a place where I'm taking responsibility so that I can better myself. And that's such a profound and beautiful gift that life itself has given us. And that's from my perspective anyway around this concept of free will. And I don't really speak much on free will because I, I <laughs> yeah. don't really have a, a personal <laughs> idea around it. It's more so the idea that uh, life itself has gifted us the, the ability to be conscious. And from that conscious place, we're more able to choose the things that we do. And then we also as well have the safety net of the fact that life is there to support us too. You also have a course, it's um, How to Decrease Fear and Anxiety in Three Days. Talk to me for a moment about that. Yeah, so I did. I ran this really simple free course that I recorded. And anyone can access it, by the way. I can actually send you the link if you want. And so people can access it. But it's very straightforward. It's just minicourse.healingwithkids.com and you'll see the link somewhere. Uh, and it's just a simple three-day step-by-step process to help people to as long as they do it over the period of three days or even six days, their tools and practices that will help people to decrease levels of anxiety and fear in their lives. It won't cure it because you need much more than three days. (laughs) (laughs) But the reason why I put out a free course (laughs) is because A, I want people to have access to something that is free because a lot of people can't afford coaching. That's why I wanted to support those people. But also B as well, it's a fantastic method to help people to get the ball rolling who maybe maybe can afford coaching, but maybe resistant to the idea of coaching. Because I know for myself, I was for a long time. And it took me to do actually a few things, a few courses, a few practices that I hadn't done in the past. I actually opened myself up to coaching. And that's actually what really served me and my freedom was actually getting coaching myself. And that for me enabled me to uh, step into and lean into things that I would have never done on my own. Uh, and that was such a profound thing for me. So that's what the three days is for, is anyone can access it for free. There's no uh, strings attached. You don't need to do anything else. I just highly recommend that if you do those three days that you truly commit to really focusing on each video that's only about 20 minutes long. And uh, yeah, there's only three of those videos, so don't worry. And then uh, at the end, they get a free what you call a POAP, which is a proof of attendance protocol, which is a free NFT. So that's a non-fungible token. That's a little like sort of token that you'll get 
it exists on the blockchain and you'll be able to get it onto your phone. And uh, yeah, it's completely free and I give that to anyone that completes the course as an incentive to get it. And that one day, um, can, that can be sold as well for some money one day if I can make it worth something because I increase its value and there's only 500 of them. So the first 500 people that do the course get a little free little token and it's just to incentivize and encourage people to lean into doing things for their own mental health. I have a few more questions for you, the ending questions. But before that, you also have a uh, free secret Facebook group for coaches and consultants. Do you also have a link for that? Because I didn't find that yet. So I'd love to have a link for the listeners. So that's actually brand new. And thank you for yeah asking as well, because it's something that I'm actually putting together in the next few days. Uh, so that works completely. Um, I'm sure by the time this podcast is released, um, I'll have the link to you. So that's just essentially a free Facebook group where people will be able to access, uh, of course, myself, which is fantastic, but also a strong community of people who are coaches and consultants who identify as that, who are working toward a stronger, more fearless and conscious place within themselves that is more free of anxiety and more leaning into confidence and abundance. And that's essentially... Uh, the what the group's going to be about and there's going to be interviews that i'll run that i'll share with the group there's going to be all sorts of things that i'll um, be giving to the group for free and that's just a place for people to thrive who are in that space of uh, being a coach or a consultant and yeah that's an exciting thing for me because i know i at one point needed that support I've, i have that support now because i've been working with a coach and a team for well over two years now and that's been a beautiful gift um, and i want to be able to provide that sort of uh, service to coaches and consultants who may feel that they want more support in their lives. Mm. How do you define success these days? What is to be successful to you? Yeah. So to me, this is a, an absolute personal question, right? So success, because the way I define it will be different to you. The way you define it will be different to anyone else. And this was beautiful about the term success because success, the idea of success is generally termed from an external place. When people talk about success, generally success will be framed as the idea that I have the things that I want in my life. That's great. Um, the way I see success is to live successfully, is to live from a place where I've gained an internal level of success, which is pleasantness, internal pleasantness, and internal uh, non-reaction, therefore internal freedom. Right? So that internal freedom is success. And from that place of freedom, I will be more capable of A, executing on getting the things that I want, but also B as well coming to a place where I'm content already with the things that I have. So that's the profoundness of the idea of success. And I see success as internal freedom. And from that freedom, uh, being able to execute at the level that I want to, to actually get the things and do the things and uh, have the things that I want to. And that's from a place of uh, conscious choice, not from a place of materialistic lust, because I don't, I feel so conditioned to feeling unworthy. And this is my past self, right? I felt conditioned to feeling unworthy. And from that unworthiness, I desired and craved respect from others. So I felt that if I got the car, if I got the house, if I got all these things that I so strongly desired, uh, because I believed that if I had these things, I'd get the respect and the love that I felt I needed in this life because I couldn't give that to myself. So that for me was actually not quite success in my eyes anyway. Success was being able to be free of that. And now I no longer have the desire to uh, run that party boat business that I was going to run in San Diego. And that was, it was only about three years ago now. And I was so close. I had the deposit and everything ready. And I, we had the boat. 
I had the business partner and everything. It was crazy. It was going to be called Kiwi's Playhouse, which obviously is turned from Peewee's Playhouse. Terrible name. Yeah. Terrible name. <laughs> and, yeah. But yeah. essentially, um, yeah, that was due to my condition state um, that was desiring that. But now that I've become free within myself, freer than I was, I see now what it is that I truly desire and I'm working towards that now. So That's beautiful, Karen. Thank you for sharing that. And my last question is, what are three things you wish everyone to experience before they lose the body, before we die? Yeah, yeah, great question. Well, one is absolutely true peace. And by true peace, I don't mean uh, peace where, you know, they're lying on a hammock in Fiji. Ah, yes. <laughs> that's amazing. But that is amazing. But that's also not True peace, true peace is not escapism. True peace is mm, yeah. a place where one is actually internally resolved a lot of the things that exist within. And for a moment, they experience that true peace of, wow, I'm not fighting life. I'm no longer fighting my conditioning. Wow. That's, that's a place of freedom and therefore peace. That's one thing, definitely. Uh, and in fact, they could probably be all three things. Right <laughs> yes, why not? <laughs> but, um, yeah. But the other two things would be uh, yeah. true love of self. Yeah. And true love of self will come from that foundation of peace and true actual happiness, not enjoyment, because enjoyment has a conclusion and enjoyment means that I'm finding joy through things. That's not true happiness. Happiness is actually completely beyond enjoyment. Happiness is a place where it will naturally flower when a state of peace has been embodied because I'll be walking through life being so wondrous and so curious about everything around me. I'll naturally be in, in such a state of joy and happiness just by being. And it's such a profound place to be. And I wish that to anyone, particularly those people that are in a state of closeness and suffering because I empathize with those people. It's not a bad place to be. It just is an unpleasant place to be because the moment it's turned bad, uh, is the moment we beat ourselves up for it. So please don't turn yourself in that way. Yeah. Thank you for that question. Thank you for your answers and your wisdom. Thank you so much, Karen, uh, for everything you do, the way you do it. And um, I love how genuine and authentic, I guess we can use that word now. I can, that's the word that comes to mind. Natural, really. I prefer the word natural more than authentic. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, so thank you for being you, for being natural. And before we say goodbye, again, where can we find more information about you, your services, products and future projects if you can mention that the course page link and your website that will be helpful too mm. yeah of course thank you so best two places to find me on social media is tiktok and instagram and it's just coach keza so coach and then keza is k-e-z-z-a excuse me if i say z and you say z <laughs> <laughs> and then uh so that's instagram and tiktok mm. and then website at the moment is healing with Kez. So healing, no space, no dash, just healing with kez.com. And that will eventually be changed if you're listening to this, if you're listening to the podcast. And this is, you know, one or two months later, my website might now be coachkeza.com. So same as my Instagram and TikTok name.com. Uh, I'll be changing that to that in the next month or so. So. I'll have those links on your podcast profile when it's um, live, and then I can update that too, of course. Thank you again, Karen, and we'll talk soon. Bye for now. Oh, thank you very much, Valerie. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Kieran Headley and his work, please visit healingwithkez.com.
Kieran is also offering a free mini course. For more details, please visit minicourse.healingwithkez.com slash decrease hyphen fear hyphen and hyphen anxiety. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.